This is Sean, and you're listening to Promise, a podcast showcasing the heroes of tomorrow. Every episode is an exploration on the idea of promise itself, whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there. I speak with exceptional, purpose-driven people on their journeys to change the world. This week, I host Junie Baptiste Boitevien, founder of Propel Innovations, co-author of the book Undefeated, and host of the Uncover Untapped Markets podcast. This is a raw and heartfelt episode where Junie shares the challenges and frustrations she's had as a migrant business owner. Amidst the frustration, though, is an optimism of investing in the value overlooked by cultural influences and cognitive biases, and a plea to change federal policy decisions to unlock a wave of innovation in a more equal Australia. Please enjoy my discussion with Juni Baptiste Poitevien. Today on the show, we welcome Juni Baptiste Poitevien, founder of Propel Innovations, a boutique of user experience research and inclusive design. She is also co-author of Undefeated and host of the podcast Uncover Untapped Markets. Juni, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me, Sean. You are most welcome. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you for so long. For anybody who has not met Junie, Junie is a bit of a powerhouse and has a whole list of accomplishments behind her, of which we'll dive into in the upcoming podcast. But amongst all of this, Junie's actually also taking her first steps into supporting some of the founders that we like to record on this podcast. So, Junie, the first question that I have for you actually is what got you interested in angel investing, considering all of the other things that you've accomplished in your life? That's such a good question. As you were saying that, it reminded me of the first time I heard the expression pocket rocket. So I use a lot of rocket emojis in my posts. A lot of what I've experienced in my life, whether it was through traveling, whether it was professionally or globally, has actually informed why I got into angel investing. But it really started when I started my business, Propel Innovations. Back in 2021, I remember hearing about angel investing and I remember hearing about, hey, you can find people who can give you money to help you boost your business. And like, you know, I was naive. I started my business. I was like, great, this is fantastic. Let me find them. And so anyway, I started talking to a few and that's when I found out that a lot will invest into products and startups, whereas I'm, I'm a service provider, I'm a consultant. And so that got me curious about angel investing. And so a curious person that I am, I just started diving deep into researching about angel investing, into understanding how it worked. And it was around the same time that I had found a lot of Black-owned VC funding in Canada that had started. And that's also when I found out about Arlen Hamilton and her story. And then my world literally expanded. I didn't realize how much the whole angel investing VC world was like. I also was talking to a lot of other business owners to know if they knew about it. A lot of them didn't know about it. And then I also found it very interesting how biased investing can be. And it's very easy to actually say, 
oh, this is such a biased decision and so on and so forth until I had to experience it in a way because through the Start May program, which I ended up doing this year and just finished about angel investing, that part where you had to read a lot of pitches, I caught myself in a situation where I was like, oh, I can see how this process can be a bit biased. And so that's when I felt that there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of processes that you need to put in place as an investor. I also felt that I could invest in founders who are solving big problems that are very unique to certain cultural values that most people miss out on investing in. And I also felt the need to educate myself first for when the time came. And then fast forward to 2023, I found the Start Me program and I thought, yeah, let's just jump in, start educating yourself. Amazing. Yeah, I follow the same thread of curiosity, I think. When you think back to when you were first getting curious about this space and making the switch from looking at investing from the lens of, I need to receive investment to actually I can contribute and I can invest. What made you realize that you could also contribute without having tons and tons of money like most would associate with angel investors and investors in general? Yeah, and well, that's that's also another good point. For me, in my research, it was talking with people who are angel investors. It was mainly as well the Start Mate First Believers course. I think it was the first session. They really walked you through different ways that angel investors invest and like their structure and so on and so forth. And that was really eye-opening for me. Because in the end, there are different ways that you can invest and you don't need 50 grand, 100,000, whatever, right? Like you do not need that much money. There are different ways you can give in your time. And it kind of felt like, oh, it's like having a co-founder a bit in your business. But yeah, it was literally those two things, doing research, speaking with people who are angel investors and doing the Startmate First Believers program. And maybe the answer to the next question might touch on some of the stuff that you learned in the First Believers program. But what do you think being an angel investor means? So it's interesting because what I'm about to say doesn't really, I'm not sure. I feel like it won't really hit with what I've learned with the Start My First Believers program. But for me, being an angel investor, becoming one has to do with backing companies that are uncovering untapped markets and who are founders who are often overlooked. And especially, you know, I think about myself just from the cultures that I belong in, just from navigating different lived experiences. I look at a lot of markets and I've heard a lot of stories of people not getting funding. And I feel like it has to do because it's maybe a lack of understanding of how certain cultures behave which is in line as well with what I do with Propel Innovations, right? So doing inclusive design and user experience research, a lot of it has to do with understanding people's behaviors. So I look at it that way, you know, like I look at the beauty industry within African-American markets or just black markets in general. It's a huge industry, like we're talking billions to trillions of dollars, but you want to understand that if you're not from that group, that cohort. So that's one example. I guess from another angle too, from the Startmate program, was understanding this whole spikes thing. 
because I think the spikes gives you structure into understanding what to look for. And that helps a lot. It's not just about, oh, I just really love this person or this person sounds cool or, oh, I can relate or this person looks like me. And that's where his bias seeps in, in one way. But the spikes gives you structure into how you define or see what could be the next best thing. And I want to add that it's about backing the companies that are also uncovering these untapped markets and who are often overlooked and tapping into these cultural significances that open up a huge market opportunity. Yeah, excellent. Let's dive into some of those things that you just alluded to. You've mentioned Uncovering Untapped Markets. Firstly, it's the name of your podcast, and I think everybody should go check that out. We'll grab the links towards the end of the show. But also that there are a lot of biases that might creep into these decision-making processes when it comes to making an investment decision. And therefore, a lot of spaces don't get the value and attention that they might otherwise deserve. So if you're approaching it from that lens, what general ideas or themes do you want to invest in and why? Yeah, I'm going to say it again, untapped markets and very innovative solutions. Why? Because I strongly believe that when you are running a business, no matter how big or small you are, you have and you leave a social footprint. And for me, from the experiences that I've had, like I've lived in many countries around the world to see how when you have the very little amount of things in your life, you can still build something big. And even if you have a lot, you can still build something big. But the idea behind that is that at the end of the day, you are leaving a social footprint. You are impacting people because, well, at the end of the day, your customers are people. So for me, although there are amazing businesses and some might not necessarily go out there to solve the wicked problems, I find the wicked problems much more fascinating. I find that you have to be innovative to think about these solutions, but especially when you tap into those markets that are often overlooked, that's when you realize how much, well, you can actually benefit a lot more too. Like you could benefit a wider audience. And I think that's just a mindset shift. It's a mindset that I'm hoping I could just illuminate and highlight and go towards that in terms of investing and investment. Wonderful. And I guess that's a slightly different perspective to the more generic approach that investors seek out, which is to maximize their financial return. So if you were to take some of the things that you've learned through the Startmate First Believers program alongside your personal interests, alongside where you want the world to go, how do you balance all of these when they might run at odds with one another? Yeah, look... It's a tricky field, right? I mean, how do you know in five years time that what you're betting on at the beginning, that's what you're going to get? I think for me, it's a lot of it in terms of future vision or what you envision or the whole spikes, right, that you learn and start meeting first believers. For me, I also always go back to look at history, look at certain cultures, but also what's someone's your imagination of what the world could actually be like and how it could actually look like. I believe that's where you can see, okay, this could be a 10x, that this is the financial return. 
But also if I'm thinking 10x a financial return, future vision, but also personal interests. When you think of markets like people who are unbanked or underbanked, again, we're tapping into billion dollar markets. Same thing with femtech. A lot of solutions that would solve real world problems also do that. That's how I see all of it. If you have a Venn diagram, I think that middle bit that Sweep bought would be the personal interest. Like, what are these untapped markets? What's the history behind it? And what's the pure imagination that the person has to solve these great problems and still bring that 10x financial return? I guess there's also the reality that like maybe it won't bring the 10x, but at least there's been some sort of return. However you want to look at it, for me, it's at least you're solving something out there. It's uh, very much a social capital and environmental cultural capital sort of lens compared to a financial capital lens, it sounds like. Yeah, it does. I would like to challenge that. I would like to challenge that because of where we're heading. Again, I mentioned history. I mentioned culture. If you pay attention to people's behaviors and how society changes, you'll also notice how much people also decide to vote with their wallet and what they decide to vote with their wallet with. And so now that we're heading towards that, the social capital will decide what the financial return will be. If you're missing the social values of people that you are supposedly solving a problem for, then how do you expect the same financial return? That's my take on it. Yeah, excellent. And we can actually dive into where you see the world headed further down the line. But if we take into account all that you've told us so far of the kinds of spaces that you would like to invest in, and you've mentioned a couple of fields specifically already. So for example, black beauty products and femtech. If you were to pick one company or a particular industry that you wished you could have invested in already, something that's already big now, and if you had the chance to invest in it at the very start, what is that and why? Yeah, tricky question, because when I was thinking about that, I actually found myself doing Google research. And like the things that I was searching for were things that I couldn't think of at the top of my head, right? To say, for instance, if I tell you billionaires in technology, right, you'll be able to name the Zuckerbergs, the Bezos and all. But then I was like, okay, who are the equivalents, whether they're women or whether they're from different cultures and whatnot? I struggled right there and then. And I literally found myself Googling and finding lists and lists of businesses that are doing great. I find technology very interesting, especially advanced technology. So I would go for that. The beauty industry would be more out of because myself. I've had the lived experience of struggling to find hair products being abroad for so long for my type of Afro-textured hair, but also understanding the culture and the history around what beauty is like in Black communities or in Black markets. Again, right, it goes back to what I was saying, like, if you understand history and culture, you'll understand how you tap into certain markets. And I also find industries that I'm not familiar with super interesting. I'm not a gamer, but I find gaming has a different lens into how that market is working, but also how customers are. And again, looking at how people behave. My brother is a gamer. 
And I literally had to ask him because there was a founder that we had the chance to hear a pitch. And I literally asked my brother after that pitch, like, hey, can you explain to me how this works? Why would people go for that? Would you go for that? Keeping that curiosity open, sometimes you're not familiar with a certain industry. But if you understand how that market works, if you understand how people interact within that industry, then, you know, you can go ask people who are in it. You're doing your own user research, really, and trying to understand, like, wait, how do you engage with this type of product? So it's not one particular company, but it's just looking at what is usually not looked at. That's just something that I've always done. And I've always been like that, to have a different perspective and to look at places where people don't look. Because there are gems, heaps of gems in that. Absolutely. I, I second that sentiment. I think perhaps following the trend is not something you want to do all the time. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Because you've chatted a little bit about your history as we've gone through the conversation so far, let's share with the listeners a little bit more about yourself. So, Junie, if you can talk us through your background, you're a migrant to Australia. People will have heard that you're Haitian by descent, and you're also from Montreal. So talk me through that whole lived experience from migrating to settling in Australia and starting your own business. What was that journey like? I like a roller coaster. <laughs> it really was like a roller coaster. So yeah, like you said, I'm Haitian origin, born and raised in Montreal in the province of Quebec in Canada. Montreal is a very fascinating city. I've been exposed to many cultures from a very young age. And so through that, that's what got me curious to actually go and explore and experience the world out there. Uh, I did my bachelor's in community policy and public affairs. Social sciences wasn't really what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to do international business, but I failed calculate when we were doing CGEP. So CGEP in Quebec is like your equivalent of finishing year 12. And so in my last semester, I failed calculus and they're like, you could either extend and do an extra semester or just switch to social sciences. And I just didn't want to stay an extra semester. I was like, no, I'm out. I need to finish this, just get into university. But, you know, surprisingly, it was that understanding of how policies work and how systems work that's opened my eyes a lot more to understand then who benefits, who doesn't. And I was working at a bank at the time, too, while I was studying my bachelor's. And I was doing really well at the bank. I was like top 50 employees around the country. And I was excelling. And then I hit a wall in terms of career growth. And I was like, is this really going to be my life? Am I just going to be in banking for the rest of my life? And I just realized, actually, I've got like so many other dreams I'd like to realize. And one of them was to live abroad because when I was finishing my bachelor's degree, I did a three-month stint in India, living there and helping an NGO with raising awareness around what they were doing in the desert of Rajasthan, um, around micro businesses led by women. And that's where I realized how much people are capable of being entrepreneurial and selling things in the middle of the desert. You have to be very creative and imaginative when you are trying to solve a problem. That made me realize, you know what, I'd like to know what it's like to live abroad. So after I came back, I ended up finishing my bachelor's. I ended up quitting my job, gave up my apartment, 
packed my life into two luggage, bought a one-way ticket to Mexico. I'm still really good at languages. I speak five. And I thought, great, let me teach English. That'll be the thing that'll fund me traveling and living abroad. And so I moved to Mexico. I was there for like 18 months. And then I did a year in China doing the same thing. And then again, hit a wall and I was like, great, this is not going to help me grow career-wise. So I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to do international business. I've always wanted to do business or have my own business. So let me do my master's in Spain, in Spanish, in international business, so I can go back to Latin America. But what do you do when you're a traveler and you're curious about the world and you've got seven months before you could apply for university? You go check out the country that everyone's hyped about, which was Australia at the time. And I thought, you know what? I'm already on that side of the world. Let me check it out. I landed in Perth in 2014. And that's when I realized, wow, I didn't expect Australia to be so behind North America, Europe, and other parts of the world that I'd lived in, like in China. And its adoption towards technology and innovation. I thought, great, this is a great opportunity to start a business. The startup tech world was actually in existence <laughs> when I arrived. And go-getter that I am, I just decided, yeah, let's go for it. But migration has made it really hard in Australia. And thinking about all of the experiences that I had, I actually couldn't work in them. So I ended up having to work in hospitality and events. And then that's how I fell into not-for-profits. And that's when I was doing a lot of leadership and high-level strategy work, design thinking, and innovation IT. And then fast forward to 2020, the pandemic hit. Everyone had to get innovative. I was like, great, let's just jump on that bandwagon now. It was the right timing in that sense. And that's how I started Propel Innovations. And I used all of those skills I drew from my lived experience, from my cultural, from my professional experiences to actually look at, yeah, how do I leverage them to build design products and services that actually resonate with consumers to give businesses a competitive edge. I've had the experience of not having access to basic services like financial services. I couldn't access a basic credit card of $500 when I was only earning $450 as an international student. I struggled to actually find hair products. I need to go through a lot of hoops to actually just buy hair products, which if you're listening, you might think, oh, that's crazy. Don't you just go to Coles and Woolies? Not if you're Afro-textured hair. Unfortunately, I can't just go to Coles and Woolies. I have to ship things overseas. And that will depend on if some of these companies actually decide to open their international shipping to Australia. And so it's been a real struggle. And all of that are the reasons why I keep repeating. It's all about untapped markets. If you understand certain cultural aspects, if you understand how people access or lack access to just basic things, you'll be surprised how much of those industries are valuable and can return that kind of financial and social capital. Wow. What a fantastic answer. There are so many follow-on questions that I want to draw on. I just need to choose the first one to start with. Okay, so I'll start with a relatively straightforward one, and then I'll see if I can pick apart a few others. The first one was, if we rewind all the way back to when you were thinking, oh, I've always wanted to run my own business, what is it about the path to entrepreneurship that was so attractive to you? The path to entrepreneurship? I'm an entrepreneurial person. That's one. Number two, 
it was actually Australia that reignited the entrepreneurial side. I mentioned I had studied in international business and I felt calculus, so I ended up burying that. But also my experience living abroad has taught me a lot about grit and a lot about entrepreneurship is grit, right? You've got to be able to push through in the very, very, very challenging times. And also another reason why I got into entrepreneurship was because I was often underestimated in workplaces, not so much in banking or in education. Like, yes, I hit a wall in terms of career growth because I felt like I wanted to always excel. I was like, yeah, you hit one wall and you're like, let's go to the next. And as an entrepreneur, you have to continuously see the next thing, like the next path. It's like you're running a marathon, but you're focusing one kilometer after another. I'm quite a goal setter. When I put my mind to something, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going all the way in (laughs) and get to the finish line. But also I've struggled in workplaces where people like me are not necessarily valued. You're not necessarily valued for what you can bring. You're not necessarily valued in terms of just different ways of thinking or if you're an innovative person. And unfortunately, in Australia, I learned about tall puppy syndrome. I still remember the day that I had to ask someone like, what the hell is that? And I've asked people who know who are not in Australia if they've ever heard about that term and they haven't. So all of these things pushed me towards entrepreneurship or reignited that entrepreneurial side of me. But entrepreneurship is a personality thing. If you are someone who's a risk taker and you love it and that's what just gets you excited and if you're very curious, you're definitely going to want to just do that. But also if you feel like you're always thinking about solutions to problems and you're imaginative, these types of traits, I feel, are good traits to know if you are entrepreneurial or not. Yeah, wonderful. Some of the things that you just said about not being recognized in the workplace tie quite nicely to a former guest of the show and a guest on your show, Nikki Tagano of Scene Culture. And we can link to both of those episodes in the show notes. Okay, another follow-on question from both of those last two answers of yours actually is, how have you felt about your experience so far in Australia? Firstly, coming here, thinking, oh my God, this is such a backward country in terms of tech and innovation. And then also facing the struggle to just have a life as a migrant. And like myself, also having the challenges of successfully achieving immigration into this country. How have you felt after having gone through all of that to get to where you are now? Can I swear? Yeah, please, by all means. You're most welcome to. Yeah, migration is a bitch. This is not any way in saying that one country is better than the other, but I have found it hard to truly believe in Australia saying that they want to be innovative or they want to hit that goal by 2030 about being the most tech advanced around the world or bring in as many tech people in the country. Because if you're wanting to do that, then look at your migration system. People that I know who have probably gone through the same migration process, but have done it in other countries like Canada, 
have been able to actually migrate and settle a lot easier than I have. I'm Canadian and a lot of people think, oh, but you're Canadian. Surely it should be easy. I'm sorry, it wasn't. And so that's one in terms of your migration system, your visas as well. But I think businesses need to understand that maybe you've never had the experience of migration. And and I get it, right? Like I said, I was born and raised in Canada. Like the only way that I understood migration was what my parents experienced, not me. And so ironically, 30 years later, what I'm experiencing is what my parents experienced 30 years ago. And so if you're expecting people to come and who are highly skilled, then use their skills. I couldn't work in banking, although I had worked in banking for so many years, just because I didn't have a permanent residency and a citizenship. So I ended up having to work in hospitality, serve tables. So imagine how many people who are skilled that you are looking for, who are having to do exactly that. You are missing a whole market out of that. And then your plan towards 2030 doesn't make sense anymore. And settling has not been easy. It's taken me nine years and seven days to get my parent residency. And even in nine years and seven days, what are we now in July? The process for me to settle, and I mean properly settle, post that, post to getting my parent residency, is as hard. Because say, for instance, maybe in Australia, there's this culture around when you're settled, you can buy property, you'll get a good job. But if let's say I want to buy property, how can I do that if I haven't been able to build any credit throughout all these nine years? Because again, my visa status, I was not a permanent resident or a citizen. So how do I have access to banking? How do I have the access to financial services? All these hardships and these challenges have actually made settling in Australia really hard. And if anything, it can be a real detractor. I know people who have asked me, what is it like to come to Australia and to settle? And I'm just like, don't bother. <laughs> Go find another country that makes migration a lot easier. Yeah, it's, it's not sweet. It, it's very, it, it's, it's hard. And if you speak to a lot of people who have gone through migration, like you'll see the same thing. But at the same time, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a co-author of the book Undefeated. So pick it up and read how many people struggle through that. I just wanted to make the link with investing in technology and whatnot. But if you really, really want to elevate and bearhead innovation and be the country who is known for a tech ecosystem, then learn more about your migration in this country because that's a huge barrier for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. As someone who went through similar migration challenges, well done on getting past that wall. I'd say... Given the somewhat fractious sentiments that you have about what you've had to go through in order to stay here, now that you can stay here and that you are finding your base here and starting your business here, would you say that you are at least a little bit optimistic about setting up your life here? No. <laughs> I'm being frank, no. It's interesting because I just thought once I get my permanent residency, It'll be so much easier and it still isn't. So then I'm thinking, so is this really the country that can be innovative? Is this the country that's ready for it? 
I'd like to believe so. Back in 2014, I was optimistic because even though the country was not where it should have been or when you compare it or benchmark it with other countries in the world, I looked at it as great. These are opportunities. You can build things and whatnot. Maybe if anyone is listening and thinking that's not what I want to hear from people about Australia, maybe find better ways to let people set in. So for example, I'm here in Canada visiting family. I haven't seen them since the pandemic. And so I was actually surprised by how many people here in Quebec, for example, say that the government gives a lot of grants for people who are starting. In which when I was starting my business, I found it hard to find grants to do that. So it's a lot of bootstrapping. And I guess after nine years of real struggle, I know how to persist and persevere. But that doesn't mean that most people will. If anything, it's quite a detractor. I was also surprised by how much, let's say, incubators and accelerator programs here in Canada are free, which are not in Australia. I've had to pay to get into these programs. And so, again, these barriers, are they necessary? And how much does the government actually put money in for that? I know in Victoria, Longevic, you know, has announced several times $300,000 in different areas of the ecosystem. So that's really good. But they're not the only ones, right? Others need to jump in as well. Remember that when people are coming into this country, they've uprooted their lives and they've lost their networks, right? I can come back to Canada and I'll be like, great, I have networks because I grew up here. But in Australia, I've had to restart. So can we open those networks rather than be insular? Can we not say things like, why don't you look into my LinkedIn connection and see who you want me to introduce you to? Don't forget that some people have had the persistence to be able to go out there and meet and network. So rather than doing that, truly sponsor people, right? I'd like to thank you because I remember when we first met and I told you my story, someone like you who has connected me with people, who has opened its networks, who has taken the initiative or who has invited me to your podcast, these are actions that make it easier for someone to settle and to feel like, actually, yeah, I am feeling optimistic about being able to settle business. So if there were people like you times 100, I'd say, absolutely, I find it optimistic, but I'm being realistic and I'm saying as much that I do want to believe and see that, yes, I can settle my business in Australia. I'd like to also admit that I'm struggling to see that happen. But hey, if anyone's listening and wants to be like, nope, we're going to show you're wrong, I'm keen. I'm very keen. Wonderful. I would love for my listeners to help prove you wrong. Guys, please. And also, thank you so much for your gratitude at what I've tried to help you accomplish. I can only try. So if others can do the same, please do so. And, and perhaps we might get to the goal of being an innovative country with an innovative ecosystem by 2030. But just on that, while you're balancing the pessimism as a result of your past experiences, what do you then want to accomplish with 
both Propel Innovations and with your podcast, Uncovering Untapped Markets, given that there's a cloud of pessimism hanging over your experiences here so far? Yeah, so Propel Innovations and Uncover Untapped Markets, they're linked in many ways because with Propel Innovations, we focus a lot on tapping into niche markets for consumer brands to gain a competitive edge. And also because I'm on a wild mission to remove biases in how we design products and technology. Whereas an Uncover Untapped Markets is about giving business leaders, marketers, product teams the confidence that it's not a scary thing or too much of an effort to build products that are adaptable to a wider audience. And so just removing those blind spots, I use the analogy of traveling, right? People love traveling. People get excited about traveling. Like your senses are heightened and you're thinking, wow, I want to discover this. And with Propel Innovations and Uncover Untapped Markets, it's the same thing, but from a business perspective. It's looking at, maybe look at other areas that you haven't thought about and that we're guiding you into the opportunity that you're missing out on. I hear a lot of dissonance where businesses are like, you want customers, you want to attract them. But then on the other end, you have a lot of consumers. And again, from my own lived experience too, you have a lot of consumers who are like, oh, but you don't really resonate with my values or you don't really put out products that I can actually use or that actually resonate with the problem we're trying to solve or just accessing services. These two are very much linked. And although, yes, I am a bit pessimistic because, I mean, my reality has been harsh. I also strongly believe that that's where we're headed. And so I'm illuminating that for people to not miss out, but also it's my way of being able to contribute to the innovation ecosystem in Australia. It's my grain of salt. If in a year's time we're having this conversation and I could say, you know what, I have been able to see or businesses or people say, you know what, like, We've listened to the podcast and we've heard and we've been open to see the opportunity and we've tapped into that and we've seen how much it has changed or gave us the financial return for it. Then, hey, I'll be happy. I would have said, you know what? It's been a hard, well, by next year, it'll be 10 years. It'll, it's been a hard 10 years. But if I think back to 2014, what reignited my entrepreneurial spirit and got me to see the value or the opportunity to build a business here, then I could say, you know, I've accomplished it in 10 years. All right. So that's a nice segue onto a question that I love to start wrapping up the conversation with. You've just given us a quick rundown of where you want to be in a year's time. But if you were to be at your most optimistic and envision a world where everything goes right for you just the way you want it. What do you think that world looks like? That world will look much more representative of what the world actually is. I've shared that I've lived in different countries. I speak many languages. I come from different backgrounds. And if you look at Australia's makeup, you'll notice that a lot of people share those same experiences. And so what I would love to be able to see is that leveling up the playing field for all of these areas so that we are all benefiting. We're all bringing something very valuable in this. At the Uncover on Tap Markets podcast launch, I played a little game with uh, people who were there 
So, you know, the price is right. I use the price is right and call it the fact is right. When I was doing that, I actually, one of them was about knowing what the fact was right about the makeup of Australia. So the statement was, Australians come from how many countries, speak how many languages in their homes and share over how many religions. And so the answer to that is that Australians come from 200 countries, speak 300 languages and share over 100 religions. I would love to be able to see that we're putting that at the forefront of everything that we do, because that's what our world looks like. That would make me much more optimistic. But I'm an optimistic person in general. Just my experience of the migration has not been the most pleasant. But it's what drives me as well to keep going with Propel Innovations. And it's what drove me as well to start the podcast on Cover and Tap Markets and share other people's stories who have tapped into these markets, how they've done it, how they've used their own lived experience for it around it, and how they're building innovative businesses. And, you know, we're talking about, again, billions of dollars of industry, trillions of dollars of industries, things that people could be investing in. If you're an angel investor and you're thinking, I'm actually curious to know what they are, like, I would say, go and listen to the podcast. Absolutely. Highly recommended. Again, I'll grab the links and stick them in the show notes. Okay, so if we're to look at that from the perspective of an investor and a supporter of founders, as well as what you plan on doing with your podcast and your business, what do you think you would need to do to help the founders that you're supporting to build that world with you? Maybe I'll start my own ecosystem. <laughs> Love the ambition. <laughs> uh, look, I think personally what I need to do, I think I'm already doing it, right? Like the podcast is one way. Founders can learn from other founders through their own story, through their own insights. I think if you listen to a lot of the podcasts that I've been on so far, like you'll hear the highs and lows. And as a founder, you need to accept that that's your life. But you also need to know how to balance that with taking care of yourself. Like for me, I train in triathlon. So, you know, I'm training for my third Ironman 70.3. That helps me to sleep well, to eat well, to discipline myself. But also a lot of triathlon training teaches me a lot about entrepreneurship, teaches me a lot about dealing with challenges, teaches me a lot about reflection. How do you constantly self-reflect? So I feel like I'm already being authentic and I'm being the role model and hoping to inspire other people to feel inspired. And I think if anyone would have to look at it this way, whether as an angel investor is be the role model, right? Be the person that you would want founders to look up to and say, oh, I think you can bring quite amazing, valuable insights, but also I see that you're being a human being as well. You're someone, you're a person and you have flaws and you're being open and having the courage to recognize that. So yeah, just be your authentic self. And I feel like I'm doing exactly that. Wonderful. That is such a great place to wrap up the conversation. And Junie, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out to chat with me today. The last thing that I'll get you to do is to share any social media contact info, especially around your podcasts, any events that you'll be at in the not too distant future, 
as well as, yeah, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they like what they've heard, how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. They can find me under Propel Innovation on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also find me under Propel Innovations on Threads. On Twitter, I'm Propel underscore UX. And you can email me at hello at propelinnovation.co and not .com. I get that a lot. I'm like, no, it's .co. And yes, I'll be at the customer show on August 16 and 17 at the ICC in Sydney and Women in Emerging Tech on August 23rd at ACS in Melbourne. Wonderful. Juni, thank you once again. Thank you so much, Sean. Really loved the conversation. And I love what you're doing. So keep on going. That's it for today's episode of Promise. Be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? Send me an email to sean at promise.fm. Otherwise, subscribe and stay tuned to learn from tomorrow's heroes and what we've got is Promise.